that was the case, there would be no need for a savior. He just simply wants me to talk to him, and then he does the cleaning up. Huge difference. Come to Jesus as you are, and he does whatever cleaning up, whatever issues that need to be addressed. Amen? Amen. So, from that point on, I'm moving on tonight to, to speak to us on the gift of forgiveness. Even though we touched on it a little bit last night, but I think it's important that we truly, really understand this gift of all gifts because the truth is, of the many gifts that God has given us, forgiveness is the first one. It is the gift that unlocks all the other gifts. For instance, if you need healing, and you don't know that you're forgiven, guess what happens? You have no confidence towards God. Yeah. And because you lack confidence towards God, it erodes your, uh, your ability to believe God and, uh, and to get what you need. In Christ, you have been forgiven of sin and set free from all its effects, including sickness. However, if you don't know for sure that you've been forgiven, then you have a hard time receiving healing. In fact, for some of us, we may think we deserve this sickness or worse still that God is the one that's doing it. Amen? Now, uh, I, I want to address two scriptures uh, because the point we are making here is, and I, I mentioned this last night, God does not need my repentance, neither does he ask for my permission to forgive me. And I know that, that for many of us, that's hard to say, what? And may I even take it further? Everyone is forgiven. Believers and unbelievers alike. However, for the unbelievers, they have yet to accept, receive, or believe that it's done. And that's the essence of the gospel message. Can you imagine back there when my wife and I were struggling to be born again? If somebody simply told us that our sins were forgiven and all the things we were trying to get rid of, whether it's smoking or uh, whatever kind of lifestyle we were trying to come out of, if someone had simply presented a simple message that said, you know what? You come to Jesus and he will clean you up. Maybe we'll have been much more open to receive the gospel message. But the message we got, and the message many are still hearing, is that get cleaned up, get right, and then come to God. It's impossible. Absolutely. That's, that's the law. Now, let me look at one scripture here in Matthew chapter 5, or rather, Matthew chapter 6. The gift of forgiveness. This is a gift that unlocks all the other gifts that God has for us. Because if I'm not certain that God is not angry at me, then I lack the confidence to believe him for prosperity. I lack the confidence to believe him for healing. I lack the confidence to believe him for favor because I'm constantly thinking, hey, God is mad. He's angry because I've sinned, because I've not gotten things right with him. Amen? Are you guys here tonight? Are you, are you hearing him? Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, in verse 15, actually maybe verse 14, look at what Jesus said here. 
For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He's saying from this passage that forgiveness is conditional, which is totally contrary to everything we said yesterday and where we're going today. What's CSU? <laughs> it's quiet here, man. <laughs> Jesus said, if I don't forgive my brother or my sister, I cannot get forgiveness from God. Why would Jesus say a thing like this? Because I can show you two or three other scriptures, even from him, that totally, completely contradicts what you just said. This is important. Sister Shade, were you going to say something? It's not dead yet. Good. Let me say this to you. Jesus Christ was the greatest law preacher that ever lived. And at the same time, the greatest grace dispenser now. You need to understand that. First of all, whenever you see scriptures that seem to be, to be contrary to the present disposition position, you need to start asking yourself questions. Who is speaking? To whom is he speaking? What is the context for the speaking? Because if you don't understand that, you are mixed matching and you get totally confused and derailed. The Bible says clearly in the book of Galatians chapter 4 that Jesus was born under the law. He lived in an era or dispensation of the law. And he made it clear to us in his ministry that he did not come to break the law, but to fulfill it. Let me even go back a little bit, because I think it's important for us to understand the context there. How did the law even come about? What happened? Go with me to Exodus. Exodus. Uh, chapter 19. Because if you don't have a clear understanding of some of these things, you find yourself bogged down in arguments that, that are meaningless, that makes no sense. Exodus chapter 19. Uh, in verse... Let me start from verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings. Eagle's wings. That should immediately trigger something to you. Psalm 91. Okay? And brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all of the earth is mine. And it shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. 
So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Now look at verse 8. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That was the nail on the coffin. These people undertook on themselves that everything God has spoken and commanded, they will do. What's doing have to do? Doing means works. They, they were saying, hey, yeah, we, we're ready. We're good to go. We'll do it. Up till now, there was no law. Up to this point in the scriptures. That's why Cain could kill Abel and God protected him and put him in protective custody. Because murder was, there was no law against murder up to this point. Hello? This is why in Exodus, no, not Exodus, Genesis, Abraham could lie about his wife and God did not lay the charge against him. There was no law against lying. This is why Isaac could lie and God did not charge him for it, even though those things were wrong. Are you following what I'm saying to you? But in that era, in that dispensation, there was no law. If you went to the autobahn in Germany and you drove on a highway where there was no speed limit and you drive 120 miles an hour, nobody's going to stop you. Why? There is no law against speeding. But the opposite of that is almost true for us because as an American, if you went to the autobahn in Germany, because you already have laws in America that says you drive 65 miles an hour, the tendency is that law is in your brain, is in your head. When you get in the autobahn, even though there's no law, there's no limitation, more than likely, because you are coming from an environment that is highly regulated, you're going to find yourself driving at 65 miles an hour or maybe 70 or 75. Why? Because that's what's in your mind. That's the problem with us. We have been used to hearing and to understanding the gospel based on works or law. So now, when we're in this era and dispensation of grace, we are God saying, you know what? Under grace, it's done. Under the law, it's doing. It's a whole different paradigm that must come. Under the law, the people did to get blessed. Under grace, it's a done deal that you must accept, you receive, and it manifests itself. Are you following what I'm saying to you? So when these guys in Exodus 19 said to God, whatever you are saying of us, we will do it. God said, you guys, do you really know what you're saying? So immediately they said that, what happened in Exodus 20? The Ten Commandments came. So the law was introduced to show the people the futility of their own efforts. How that in their own ability, in their own strength, they can never satisfy the demands of the law. The law can tell you, hey, speed limit is 60 miles an hour, but it can't help you drive it. 
The law can say, thou shalt not kill. But it does not help you to, to, to not kill. And on and on and on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So Jesus now, you need to understand something about Jesus' ministry. His entire earthly ministry came to serve two purposes. Number one purpose, to reveal to Israel and all of those men and women who were listening to him how that they could never satisfy the demands of God's justice and law. Impossible. And he played with words with them. Uh, he told them all kinds of crazy because the Pharisees thought that they had it well. I mean, they came up with all kinds of laws and Jesus said, oh, your law says thou shalt not commit adultery. That's, that's what you guys really... But I say to you, if you look at a woman to even lust in your heart, you've done it. He increased the bar. He raised the bar on them. Because they thought, hey, man, we got it covered. We're doing so well here. We will not commit adultery. We say, oh, really? Adultery? That's what you really think the law meant? How about lust in your heart? He raised the bar to show them how helpless they were. So number one, Jesus' ministry came to reveal to us the futility of man's effort to, just, to meet the demands of God's law. But secondly, he also came to show us prophetically the Savior, the dispenser of grace, the one who God was bringing to deliver us from trying to meet the demands of the law and how through his life and those that believe on him, they find fulfillment and satisfaction. So now, when you go, come back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 15 now, when he says, uh, Matthew 6, 15, where is it? Yeah. But if you do not forgive me their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. In the old dispensation, that was true. That was true. But today it's no longer so. Romans 10.4 tells us that Jesus Christ is the end of the law for all who trust in him. So the point I'm making is this. If you do not forgive someone, God does not hold that against him forgiving you. Now, now, I must also say to you, there are dire natural consequences for not forgiving other people. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive others, even as Christ the Lord has forgiven you. But it did not say that if you don't forgive them, then you will not be forgiven. Now, this is the goodness of the gospel of grace. There are no conditions upon God's ability to bless you. Other than if you receive it and believe it. Now, if you don't forgive others, as Jesus said, there are consequences, natural ones. A lot of diseases and physiological things that's happening in people's lives are as a result of harboring grudges. You hurt yourself. Physically, naturally so. You put yourself in a bondage, in a cage, in a prison by failure to forgive others. Having said that though, that has nothing to do with your ability to receive forgiveness from God. Why? Because forgiveness only comes to you and I on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, period, period. End of story. 
Jesus is forgiveness. Not what I do or don't do. Are you hearing this? And the reason I am going in this area is because I'm telling you everything else we get from God will be contingent on your confidence before God. Many of us here are parents. When your children have offended you, have done something wrong, done something you've told them not to do, you come home from work, they're hiding. They know. They know they've trespassed. They understand the game. They understand what happens. And so, they, 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 are, they appreciate the fact that if they are in disfavor with their parents and therefore, they don't feel worthy. This was what happened at the garden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, who went and did the hiding? God or Adam? Adam. Adam. The confidence of being able to come before God to fellowship was gone. And so they went and hide. What I'm saying to us under the dispensation of grace is you don't need to hide. God's love and grace and gift of forgiveness comes without condition. Not only does it come without condition, he's not asking your permission. He's done it anyhow. So what Jesus was saying here was true under the covenant of the law in the day in which he lived. But the rules have changed. It's a new day with new sets of uh, protocol, shall I say. It would be ridiculous if I had an iMac laptop and I'm looking to operate an Android system on it. Is anything wrong with Android? No. Is anything wrong with my iMac? No. But these systems are built to run on a particular set of programming. So I can fumble with my iMac. This thing is crazy. It's not working. And it doesn't matter. You are in the wrong system. So if you want to get results today, I'm telling you, you need to cross over to the gospel of God's grace. Which says, Jesus so loved you, he forgave your sins without you asking, without you repenting. And not only that, Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's not asking your permission to do so. He's already done. Absolutely so. This is the more exciting news. And, and the reason this is so important is when we get it, then we have the right message to give to the unbelievers. They are forgiven, but they've not received it. They've not received their package because they've not believed on it. Amen? So that's one scripture. First, I mean, Matthew 6, verse 15. Now, let's go to Luke 24, just so you know that Jesus... He made the adjustment. Luke 24. Luke 24. Verse 46. Oh. 
Luke 24, let me start from verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Notice what it says in verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Interesting. Notice what he said. Please pay attention to that phrase. Repentance and remission. Notice what he did not say. He did not say repentance for remission. This is not a play of words. He now, in the, after he's risen from the dead, the same Jesus that said to us in Matthew chapter 6 that your forgiveness was conditional is now saying to you in Luke 24 that repentance and remission of sins must be preached. He didn't say repentance for remission. If he said, if he said repentance for remission, that would mean that repentance came as a condition for forgiveness. But rather he said repentance and remission. Number one, repentance meant what we said last night. Change your mind. Change your mind about what you think God is thinking about you. Change your mind. But I like the next word, remission. He did not just say forgiveness. He said remission. You know the difference? Remission is the past tense of the word forgiveness. So he said to them, take this message to the nations and tell them to change their mind and the fact that they've been forgiven, past tense, is a done deal. Yes. No longer conditionally based, but now freely given to all those who will accept it and believe it. Remission of sins. Amen? Ah. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And there's one more big scripture we need to address. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 7. Ephesians 1 verse 7. Look at what it says. In him, Jesus... We have redemption through what is notice. He didn't say you have redemption through your forgiveness, your confession. No. He did not say you have re- redemption because you did this or you did that. None of that. It's a done deal. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In case you don't know what it means, he said the forgiveness of sins. Ah, I like this next phrase according to the riches of his grace. So what is the limit of measuring how much forgiveness you get, Greg? How do you measure how much forgiveness is available to you? Is it by how much effort you put forth? Is it by how many days of fasting you give to God? Is it by how many hours of praying you do? Absolutely nonsense. According to the riches of his grace. How rich is the grace of God? Oh my God. The Bible calls it exceeding grace. 
The Bible calls it abundance grace. The Bible calls it great grace. What are we talking about here? We are talking about the inexhaustible, unlimited, abundant grace that's available in God. That's why Paul could say, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The grace of God rises to the occasion. Now, does that mean we should go out and sin? No. No, not at all. Not at all. And I'm still saying to you, whoever will understand this message, I tell you what, sin will start dropping off of you like rocks. Absolutely. In the same way, my wife stopped smoking the day she came to Jesus. She didn't pray about it. She didn't have to. When she encountered him, him who has the abundant grace, the reservoir of grace was in him sufficiently to overtake that situation. Who told me to stop going to nightclub and own one and give it away? Who told me that? Which seminar did I go that made me realize, ah, bag, you don't need to run a nightclub? Nobody. Nobody. But when you meet Mr. Grace, Grace personified, when you meet him, you don't have to bring a laundry list. The connection and the mere looking at him and being with him, everything else around you grows strangely dim. That's why Paul said, I don't care to know anything about you except Christ crucified. Christ crucified. I pray that God will set us free here tonight. There are so many more scriptures. I don't want to uh, read them. Uh, But let me just deal with one other aspect that gets us all uh, in confusion. 1 John 1. 1 John chapter 1. The gift of forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness. It's a gift. And this is a gift that unlocks every other gift that God has for us. The gift of forgiveness. Therefore, it's important for me to know that I'm forgiven. But not only that, it's important for me to realize the futility of trying to earn my forgiveness. Anytime you try to do that, you curse your forgiveness. You nullify it. No, I don't mean that to say that you nullify it in the sense that you are no longer forgiven and you go to hell. No, that's not what I mean. I want to make sure I make that clear. Okay, but I'm just saying there's no traction in what you're trying to do. First John 1 9. Okay, if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the first time I heard someone mention 1 John 1, 9, I don't want to mention the name of the preacher here, but I was in a meeting and he was preaching and he just mentioned that in passing that, that as a believer now, under grace, you don't even have to confess your sins any longer or acknowledge them. And then he made reference to 1 John 1, 9. Wow, I almost fell off my chair. Unfortunately, I was in the front row of the service. I couldn't, I, I had to compose myself. 
But in my, in my inner man, I was shouting, heresy! Not true! Because John, who wrote this, remember, he's the apostle of love. Not only that, he lived with Jesus in the old dispensation under the law. And now, in the New Testament, new covenant, under grace, if we confess our sins, it's just unfaithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The implication is there's a condition to receiving forgiveness which nullifies everything else we said up to this point, if this is true. But if grace will be grace, don't ever forget the formula. If grace will be grace in every situation, remember it's an already done deal. That does not need your work. I had a serious problem with this. For days. I said I need to get hold of this guy. I let him know that is not correct. He needs to retract this statement. It's true. Now I heard the arguments. That well really. Yeah, if you look at verse 6. He's talking about people that walk in darkness. Uh, in verse 8. Uh, say if we, dis- if we ha- say we have no sin with this ourselves, I hear that, but to me, that's almost a stretching of the scripture. I hear the argument, but I was not satisfied that the scripture was not being stretched to fit. And then I saw something. Can I show you what I saw? Let me start from verse 1. Then it probably will make some sense. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, we have seen, and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, verse 3 is the key for me. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, why? Why are we declining it to you? Please pay attention to the next sentence. That you also may have fellowship with us. That's what they did for me. Did you catch that? Okay. Go back to verse 3 for me. Verse 3. Verse 3. Okay, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Who is you? Who is you in this passage? Okay, you don't know who you are. Yes, okay, let's go on. <laughs> we don't know who you are. Well, look at the next sentence. That you also may have fellowship. Implication is, whoever you is, do not have fellowship. So whoever the you is are a group of people who did not have what John had. So John is saying to them, listen, I've seen it, handled it, touched it, and the reason I'm sharing with you is that you also can cross over from your unbelieving self to where we are now. Because if you don't cross over, 
and you say you have no sin, you are deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in us. So he's saying to this group of unbelievers, if you think you are fine in the condition that you are in, you are deceiving yourselves. And the truth is not in you. And the way you get to where I am is, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So, no, John is not telling me and you as believers to go and confess your sin to get forgiveness. No! This scripture is consistent. It's consistent. Because everything else you read in the New Testament tells you it's done. It's yours. You have it. Forgiveness is given freely. But you have to believe it. The reason people die and go to hell is because they choose not to believe. Are you here? Are you following me? Let me give you one because I want us to get into some time of worship. You guys get up there, please. Uh, because I want, I want us to, 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 to get this inside of us. But let me give you one last thing that hopefully should help you. Have you ever heard God being described as God being a God is love? Is that true? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God is love? Are you sure? You are certain that God is love. I agree. I believe that. So if we believe that God is love, what is one of those things 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about love? Love does not keep records of wrongs. Yes. It doesn't. If God, as love, says he does not keep record of wrongs, why am I coming to him and say, God, I've, this morning I sinned. Please, let me confess it. You know what he's going to say? I don't know what you're talking about. Because I don't keep such records. The only record I keep is my son's faithfulness, his perfection, his obedience, his loving kindness, his everlasting love, his peace. His grace. I keep no records of wrongs. Our challenge is we quit God to be like man. Because I have a log of all the things my wife has done wrong. I carry the log. And as humans, we are saying until we talk about that thing, that thing that you did wrong, until we talk about that thing, there is a wall. I won't talk to you, you won't talk to me. We, 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 we live in a house tolerate one another, no love is flowing, because you see, as humans, we must get rid of the thing. But God is higher and bigger and better than humans. That's why he's God. He keeps no records of wrongdoing since the new covenant has been enacted. That's why the gospel of God's grace must be an emphatic declaration of the love and forgiveness that's available in God. Nothing else. Yes, 
Jesus plus nothing is grace. Please, let's turn to our feet. He keeps no records. So whatever record you've been keeping, you need to tear it up tonight. Whatever records of your shortcomings you have been keeping, you need to tear it up. Don't believe a lie from the enemy that wants to accuse you before your God. He's not taking that accusation about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. His loving kindness is upon you. His mercies are new every day for you. His faithfulness is from generation to generation concerning you. His plans for you are plans of peace and not of evil. To bring you to an expected end. Don't let anything stand between you and God. You are forgiven. Totally, completely, eternally and forever. Hallelujah. So let's celebrate our forgiveness tonight. Let's celebrate it tonight. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like ever before, oh my soul, worship
fire. 